0: Um, Good evening. Tonight's Bible reading is from Psalm 103. So it should be on page 485 of the Maroon Pew Bibles. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed, he remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul.
1: Thanks, Georgia. Friends, uh, I've called tonight's uh, message celebrating the grace that forgives. What a wonderful place to start in the beginning of a new year, 2024. Let me ask you a question as we start to look at this word. It's 2024. Is there joy in your soul today? Are you rejoicing in Christ your Savior for all of His blessings? Are you persevering through the highs and lows of life with Christ's exalting joy? There are highs and there are lows, we know that. And you may have had some low times last year, right at the moment, but is there joy in you because of Christ being in you? It's good to celebrate God's goodness. It's vital in the Christian walk to develop a gratitude attitude where your perspective of life is gratitude rather than complaint, where you see the beauty of God and all that he's done for you in Christ, and despite what you're going through, you can rejoice in the Lord. Well, in Psalm 103, we see this wonderful call to gratitude, and it starts this way, and the psalmist, David, talks to himself. Anyone ever talk to themselves? I'm doing it all the time, right? You're not mad, or you may be. But but other than that, he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Come on, soul, do you get it? Praise the Lord and forget not all his benefits. He starts like that in verses 1 and 2, and and at the end of the psalm, he comes back to that. 22, part B. Praise the Lord, O my soul. See, what's David doing? He's prodding himself. He's prompting. He's urging himself. He's stirring himself up to praise the Lord. He keeps talking to himself. David, he says to himself, you need to see the glory of Jesus and praise him. It doesn't matter what you're going through. You need to praise him. You need to honor him. To praise or to bless him, what does it mean? It means to say good things about the Lord in a spirit of admiration and gratitude and wonder. You see the beauty of God and you just say, God, you are loving, you are forgiving, you are merciful. All the things he's going to talk about in a moment. He prods himself. Praise the Lord, soul, will you? Remember his benefits, speak of his wonders, tell of his greatness. Sometimes uh, we must confess we are ungrateful children. We take God and our blessings for granted. God gives us things and we don't acknowledge that, we don't tell him. Sometimes we need to prod ourselves to give thanks. Sometimes in the midst of a physical, mental, emotional struggle, we can't see and appreciate the blessings of God. I've been there. Maybe you've been there too. But we need to learn, like David, to plead with our own souls. Praise the Lord, my soul. Come on. Come on, soul. Where are you? Why do you sleep before this, God? Why are you so dull and lazy? Wake up. Look at what God has done for you. Look what he's like, praise him, worship him. I've done that at three o'clock in the morning when you're up agonizing, praying for something that's not going the way you'd want it to go and the Lord keeps saying, just praise me. Remember who I am. Remember what I've done for you. Remember the cross. Remember the power of the resurrection. Remember the promises I've made to you. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. In the middle of the night, when you're calling out to God, sometimes you need to prod yourself. When you start to think, oh God, woe is me. All of a sudden, the Spirit of God convicts you in your heart and in your soul. And you speak to yourself to praise him. We must preach to ourselves. Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. All that is within me, not just a part of me, he says, all that is within me, every fibre of our being should bless God. And after two verses of self-prodding, David gives us the reasons for praising the Lord from verses 3 to 19. That's a big section in the middle. Why does he tell himself to praise the Lord? And he starts to list a variety of reasons. And having done that, he gets to verses 20 and 22. He tells himself to, to praise the Lord in verses 1 and 2. He then describes why he ought to do it in 3 to 19. And 20 and 22, he says, as a result of this... As a result of who God is and how God has blessed us, everyone, everything, every angel ought to praise God too. Praise the Lord, you, his angels. You mighty ones to do his bidding, who obey his word. Now he's talking to the angels, right? Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you, his servants who do his well. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. The right response to the God that we love and we serve, the God who has saved us, is to praise and to worship and to live for him and for his glory. Friends, when you have really seen the greatness of God and the blessings of God, you know there's only one God over all the world and all the universe. The impulse of worship expands to say, bless the Lord, everyone, everything, every person. In February, we're going to do the Go series, Go to See Lives Transformed. Why? Because it is our heart's desire, it's David's desire, it's Jesus' desire, not only that we would worship Jesus, that we would see his beauty and his glory, but that people in our communities would see him and come and worship him. That your non-Christian friends or family members or neighbours or work friends would see the the glory of Jesus and worship him too. That's why we go. Not just to see people saved, saved so that they can worship Jesus and they can say, praise the Lord. We go to bring glory to Jesus. So he's enthralled, though, by God's grace and blessings in 3 to 19. Bless the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He's going to list these benefits, these blessings, one after the other. And we're going to run through them reasonably quickly. But the first thing is this. He has a personal experience of God's grace in his life. Something has most psalms come out of personal experience. They've been through something God has delivered them or, or they've been sick or there's been some, some other event and they write a psalm about it. It seems like he's written a psalm about a personal experience of illness and then restoration and healing. It says this, He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. That's in that same section. Who redeems your life from the pit, that means from death, and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And most commentators will assume that uh, the link between sin and disease suggests an incident in David's life where he is being disobedient to God and he believes that God has judged him and brought an illness in judgment because of his sinfulness. Now, many of the Old Testament uh, believers saw God working in that way and sometimes God does work in that way sometimes you will be sick because God is disciplining you because of some sin and disobedience. But listen carefully. That is, what not, that is not what is normally happening. It is not true that all illness is a direct result of personal sin. Some people teach that. That's what the Jesus' disciples thought. There's not normally a direct link between the a sin and an illness. Remember the man born blind, John chapter 9, as he went along he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, uh, that he was born blind? They assume someone has sinned and God has judged them. Jesus said, no, no, he's not blind because of a judgment. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. You have misunderstood how this works, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Friends, in a fallen world, the pain isn't distributed in direct proportion to a person's guilt. Sometimes, and you have seen it, the innocent suffer, the guilty prosper. And you call out to God for an answer. And the cross of Christ makes this truth very clear indeed. The righteous one, Jesus, dies in the place of the unrighteous to bring us to God. Now, we don't know the details of David's recent illness, but clearly he had felt that he had brought it on himself by his moral failure. It was a life-threatening condition. He was on the edge of death, he said. I'd almost gone. I was at the pit. But now his personal crisis has passed. The situation has been resolved. The illness has been cured. The death sentence has been remitted. Indeed, from verses 5, we know he was feeling fitter than for many years. My youth is renewed like the eagle's said, I was at the bottom of the bottom. I thought my life was over, but now God has restored me. God has brought blessing upon me. I feel fitter than I've ever felt in my life. And he gives praise to God for this recovery. And we need to be men and women who praise God for healing, for forgiveness, for saving us from death, for giving us good things, for renewed life and energy. And some of the people in this church have walked this path this year cancer treatment surgery hospitalization and you are still with us and god has answered your prayers but what happens when god doesn't heal you when your your loved one dies i've buried multiple people this year even in the last few months one of our other members at 95 years of age is in hospital having suffered a severe stroke and she could go any moment now that'll be another funeral i'll come back from holidays for I'm happy to come back from holidays for that one for a woman who loved Jesus who two days ago in hospital was witnessing for Jesus at the age of 95 telling her doctors and people treating her that Jesus is a great savior when you die unexpectedly or tragically parents died siblings died children die praise the Lord on oh my soul how how do you do that through prayer and through tears through the support of your Christian community, through holding on to God's promises by keeping a Christ-centered and eternal perspective. Ruth, who is dying at the moment, she's been asking to go to be with Jesus for the last few months. She said, Ange, when I went to go to Greece uh, a few months ago, said, I'm a bit worried you'll be overseas and I'll die. I said, don't worry, you won't die. You're going to hang out until I come back. Because you, we prepped to do the funeral, right? Hanging on but confident to be with Jesus. But why does she want me to do a funeral? She said, I want you to proclaim the gospel. I want you to tell all my family members and friends that Jesus is a great saviour. He loves us. He's a God of compassion. I don't want to die until you get to preach that gospel. The Bible says, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. She knows that. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by far. She knows that that's how we can rejoice even in our tough times. The rejoicing is not the same. It's not like a happy rejoicing. Well, they died. No. There is grief. There are tears. But there is a confidence in the beauty of Christ. And then he moves on beyond his own life to God's grace in the life of Israel. And he goes point after point. God did this. God did this. God did this. Firstly, he says he is a God of righteousness and justice in verse 6. For example, The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. See, God saved his people out of oppression in Egypt and set them free. He remembers back how God brought them out, put them into the promised land. He remembers how when his people disobeyed him, he punished them. And then he restored them when they repented. God is just. God is righteous. We need to be praying for people in, Palestinians in Gaza, we need to be praying for Israelis, we need to be praying for people in Ukraine, we need to be praying for those in Russia, we need to be praying for those in Yemen, Somalia, Myanmar, wherever it is, that God's justice will take place and righteousness will reign. And as we pray for that, knowing that ultimately justice will come at the second coming of Jesus, God is righteous and just, no one will get away with their sin. At the end, all will fall before the judgment of God. Secondly, he's a God of revelation. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Our God is a God who speaks, says David. So in 2024, you need to realize God speaks essentially through his word. So this word needs to be memorized and read and thought about and reflected upon and heard about because you need to be men and women who hear God's voice, God has spoken. And again, this year, I'm using the Bible in a year with Nikki Gumbel. I read a a psalm, a New Testament passage, uh, an Old Testament passage, and there's a mini commentary on each section. As well as that, each night I get an email from John Piper's ministry, Desiring God, and there's a reflection there. And there happens to be someone in this congregation, I think, who sends me a Bible verse every morning. Anyone else get any of those? Yeah, yeah, a few of us. Someone was saying the other day, oh, I just started getting these Bible verses from someone, so I have no idea who it is. The blessing of a Bible verse. Read that one too. It's never enough. A God of revelation. But it's a God of grace and compassion. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, low to anger, abounding in love. And David at this point, if you didn't know, is quoting God's own words from Exodus 34 verse 6. The words that God had spoken to Moses after the children of Israel lapsed into idolatrous worship of the golden calf. This is what God says. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. That means Yahweh, Yahweh. It's God's personal name. Whenever you see capital letters, L-O-R-D, it means Yahweh. It's the name of God. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, and sin. It's a great verse because it's an encouragement to come back to to God when you've stuffed up, when you've messed up with your life, when you've sinned, when you've made bad choices. God is patient with us, He is loving, He's willing to forgive us and restore us and make us new. And if you're struggling uh, with your spiritual walk, don't run away from God, run to God because that's where you'll find love and compassion. Further, He is a God of pardoning grace. He shows us generous mercy. When you come back to him, to this God of love, he's not going to reject you. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. God decides to show mercy, not wrath. We don't get what we deserve for our sins and failures. We get mercy. There was an incident in the life of Napoleon, the great French emperor, and there was a young deserter who deserted the, the army and being caught, brought before the emperor. He ordered that the young man should be shot. The young man's mother came forward and begged for her son's life. Please, sir, Emperor, please have mercy on him. Napoleon retorted, He doesn't deserve any mercy. Whereupon the woman replied, If he deserved it, it would not be mercy. The woman was right. God does not treat us as our sins deserve. He shows mercy. Christ dies in our place and we are set free. And it's magnificent love. It keeps going. It just builds one idea after another. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. When my children were young, and none of them are here today, so I can tell the story. Uh, It's not, it's an easy story. And we we play these games, I I want to do it with Elsie soon. I'm sure it'll come up soon. And uh, kids come up to you, and they say, Dad, how much do you love me? They hold out their hands. Do you love me this much? Do you love me this much? Their arms can't go, they're not very big, right? So their arms don't go very far. Love me this much. Do you love me this much? And what are you going to say? Honey, I love you this much, right? That's what David's doing for us. Not with his arms, but he says... As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So I'm trying to picture an immense thing, a large thing. Look at that sky. Look at the heavens. That's how much God loves you. And he brings you complete forgiveness. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgression from us. What does that mean? From the east. Where's the east? The east is sort of down that way and the west right God detaches our sin from us he says and moves it to a place so far away we can't see it from the east to the west if you're at the east you can't see it in the west a few years ago when my daughter was swimming training and she would start at five o'clock in the morning don't let your kids become swimmers there's just some advice. <laughs> um, but I drop her off to swimming training, and then I would... I, was, I think it was January, and I drove to Cronulla Beach. At 5.45am, the sun's coming up. It was spectacular. I watched as the rich orange, red, and yellow sun rose for the day. I was looking at it. It looked like it was rising out of the vast ocean. It was majestic. But you know what I didn't see when I was seeing the sun rise? The sunset. You know what Jesus says? Well, David says, God takes our sins from the sunrise to the sunset. You can't see them. They're gone. They're completely taken away from you. One writer puts it this way. You can't witness the sunset and the sunrise simultaneously. When God forgives us, he puts our sins and us on two different horizons. So when he looks at our sin, he is no longer looking at us. When he looks at us, he's no longer looking at our sin. You see, they're gone. He has found a way of detaching our sins from us so that he can de- condemn the one that's sin without condemning the other which is us and further he has tender compassion as a father has compassion on his children so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him whenever I read these words I recall the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15 you know the story there's a son a father with two sons one son said dad I want my inheritance now In effect, you're saying, Dad, I want you dead. Just give me the money. He insults his father. He shames his father. The father chooses to give him the money because the father represents God and his love and his mercy. The son goes away having embarrassed his father, humiliated him in the town. He loses it all in wild living. He has nothing. What does he do? He decides to go back home. Guilty, fearful, of failure, yet full of remorse. He hopes to start again. The Bible says when his father saw him, while he was a great way off, he was filled with compassion for him. That's what God is like. He's not ready, waiting to judge you, to condemn you, to hurt you. He's ready to show you compassion when you come back to him. More than that, the father ran to him. Remember that? Middle Eastern fathers don't run towards their sons. Their sons run towards their fathers. So he's wearing a tunic of some form, he picks it up like a jumpsuit and he runs to his son, he's been waiting for the return of his son how many years, praying, hoping, believing that maybe his son would come home and he sees him it's my son, I'm going and he embraces him and he blesses him and he runs a banquet for him. A father has, has a father's compassion on his children so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. If you've been a rebellious child in 2023, it doesn't have to stay that way. Start again with God in 2024. God will forgive your past through Christ and show you compassion. He has intimate understanding, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust, verse 14. God knows we're fallen, we're human. And as a result of that, God has dependable faithfulness. I always find it hard to read verse 15. I'll tell you why in a moment. It says, The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. That's your life. That's my life. It's like, yeah, the life of mortals is like grass. But it's like a flower, it comes and goes. I mean, I just chopped down a whole bunch of flowers yesterday. Like nothing. What was he getting at? In one sense, our life is like that, it can go so quickly. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with his children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Although we seem to be insignificant and nothing, we matter to God and God takes care of us. Why do I struggle with verse 15? Well, I was 18 years of age when I uh, discovered that a, a young man I knew who was in my year group at school, happened to shoot dead, another guy who was a year below me at school. A bunch of boys had happened to go out on a farm property shooting pigs or whatever else they shoot. And without describing what happened or exactly, I wasn't there, but I've heard the stories. I ended up going to court and so on. One guy pull out one of the rifles or whatever they had and blasted the guy's brain off. A bunch of young adults, eighteen to twenty-year-olds, life changed forever. I went to the funeral at uh, the Newtown Greek Orthodox Church. It was packed, as you could imagine, four or five hundred people there out on the streets. And I remember the priest reading these words out of Psalm one hundred and three. The life of mortals is like grass, they flourish like a flower of the field, the wind blows over it and it is gone and this place remembers it no more. Speaking about our humanity. It seemed that life was not of value. What concerned me most was as I looked around at this auditorium, hundreds of people, boys from Enmore High School at that stage. Almost none of them knew Jesus. They're all prodigals in some sense. All far from God, living for sex, money, drugs, soccer. I'm not living for Jesus. The father of the fellow who died uh, had wore a suit and a black armband. For months and months, and even years after that, whenever I ran into him, I would see him with a black armband. Loss without hope. Life without meaning. Tragedy without a future. Life is an appalling, meaningless, unless we know God and know eternal life. God is dependable in his faithfulness to us when we trust in him. And he has sovereign control. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. God is in sole control of the universe whatever happens in 2024 don't think that God was surprised bushfires do not surprise God terrorists do not surprise God he knows what evil people are going to do but somehow he's able to use that to bring good to the lives of men and women as I said earlier he will bring ultimate justice on that final day let me conclude are you a grateful child Do you need to plead with yourself today, Lord, soul, praise the Lord? (laughs) you need to talk to yourself a bit more? We need to shake off any apathy, fight down depression, repent of any rebellion. We need to instruct our souls to give God the praise that is due his name. And if you're a Christian, then you are more blessed than David. For David knew little or nothing about the spiritual blessings which are ours in Christ Jesus. When he tried to find a measure of God's love, the best he could do was look at the height of the sky. We can do better. We look to a cross on a hillside called Calvary, which for us is a far greater measure of the love of God than even the unfathomable depths of the universe. He looks up to the sky, we look to a dying saviour on a cross. The arms of the cross fling wide open to show us the passion that tears the heart of God because of our sin. How much does God love you? This much? This much? This much? This much? David was blessed because God redeemed his life from the pit of death. Well, we rejoice because God has redeemed our lives from the pit of hell. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my most being, praise his holy name. Praise my soul. Come on, Ange, get to it. Forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord. Praise his holy name. Let me pray. Lord, we come before you today with praise and celebration of your forgiveness, your mercy, your grace. We don't deserve any of it, but we receive it by faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. May we, like David, God, prod ourselves to remember all that you've done for us in Jesus. That we would live with meaning and purpose and direction. That we would live far more than what the rest of the world lives for. Far more than money and safety and security and education. That we would live for the glory of Jesus. For the spread of his fame. Lord, it is our prayer that not only would we know you, love you, praise you. But our neighbours would, our families would. Our country would, the nations of the earth would, would see your glory and with the angels glorify you. Please work in us that we would live in such a way as that we will commend Jesus and the gospel to our friends and our neighbours. So transform us by your spirit that we would live like Jesus, speak like Jesus, love like Jesus, and give our lives for the cause of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name.